Hey, thanks for downloading the podcast. If you want to listen live, all you have to do is download the iHeartRadio app and search for Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Also, if you want to catch this show on video, be sure to check out Zumo TV, channel 719. That's where you can find SportsGrid's Fantasy Sports Network. Enjoy the show, and thanks so much for listening. Rise and shine, sports investors. It is another beautiful day in the neighborhood. It is Thursday, June 4th. Let's cock-a-doodle do it. This is the early line right here on SportsGrid, giving you the edge. I'm Dane Martinez. He's Kevin Walsh. And you guys know by now, we go around the world of sports to put the fun in functional sports content. We also help you get a little stimulus package yourself. We've been looking at the wide receivers all week. We will continue to do so looking at the rookies. We've also been looking at teams in the NFC West. We'll continue that tour. I mean, Kevin, you know, the Arizona Cardinals are a team that both you and I think can take a step forward. We'll figure out if they really can after we look at the schedule, after we find the Diamonds and Fugazis. All of that in our number two. But we start like we have pretty much every day over the last couple of weeks, updating our progress, our thoughts on these leagues returning to play. And so, Kevin, I want to start in the NBA, and they're obviously going to be a big-time call, right? We think the owners, you think Woj, thinks that they're going to ratify and agree to this proposal, and it could be smooth sailing from there. But one of the things that struck my fancy, you know, we've been talking about teams needing a runway, right, to be in game shape. We've been talking about the teams that don't make the playoff format. How did they honor their TV contracts? And one thing I found was interesting um, in the NHL playoff mm-hmm. design, right, was even the top four seeds were going to play it out, right, and, and, and confirm one through four and try to make sure they had the right advantage. Now, in the NBA, what we've seen is that there's going to be these Truman shows, hubs, right? The East and the West. But you saw something to say, "Mm, not so fast. These higher seeded teams, right? The teams with the best record, they still need some way to have an advantage, right? What are you hearing? So they're trying to figure out the the top teams in the league. This is a report coming from Dave McMenamin of ESPN who covers the Lakers. So you very much so can associate this then with the Lakers, but I'm sure he wouldn't send this. So this is what LeBron wants. So, right, which is, no, the thing, no, it's funny because, like, that's exactly what this is going to turn into. But I don't think he would send this report out if there weren't other uh, teams that are trying to figure out this because there is something to the idea of playing 60 some odd games and, you know, having home court advantage throughout the conference finals or home court advantage to the first two rounds of the playoffs and that now being gone. And they're trying to figure it out a couple of ways. Now, there have been. A couple of suggestions, and I'll read a couple uh, yes. to I mean, you. So, um, one of them is the higher seeded team being awarded the first possession of the second, third, and fourth quarters. Obviously, the jump ball will start the game. Uh, another suggestion uh, has been the higher seed being allowed to designate one player to be able to be whistled for seven fouls instead of six before <laughs> fouling out. Uh, the higher seeded team receiving an extra coaches challenge. The higher-seeded team being able to transport their actual hardwood home court from arenas to Orlando to try to preserve the feel of their home playing experience. Uh, And lastly, an off-court. So like the Celtics would pack up the parquet? Yeah. And ship it to Vegas? Yeah, that's that's, uh, that's apparently. Uh, And then the last one uh, is an off-court feature in which playoff teams, in order of seating, receive first choice on picking which hotel they will stay at uh, at Disney World, I have to say, I found all of the ideas completely ridiculous. Um, All of the on-court stuff to me is a complete non-starter. You are not going to change the rules of the game. Everybody's dealing with this neutral site stuff. It's what it is. It's very unfortunate that your 50 and 12 records, whatever it might be, Mm -hmm. don't result in you hosting the playoffs throughout. But that's what it is. And the idea that you can basically say LeBron only gets seven fouls to make sure he never fouls out, like, or Yon, no, I don't like that at all. An extra coaches challenge. You don't get an in game advantage. That's Mm. just, it's just what it is, man. Like, that's just what it is. The off court thing, hilarious. Couldn't care less. Like, I don't know if you've ever watched, um, like, Big Brother. 
mm-hmm. uh, the reality TV show, and they yeah. all get in, and they run to pick their beds. Their beds I mean, that's, what it's, yeah. that's what it feels like. And, like, to me, fine. You want to be able to say we get the best hotel room or closest to the facility, sure, I'm all good with that. But, like, actually changing the rules to be like, oh, that's right. That guy's got seven fouls because they won <laughs> X not again. No, hate that. Hate Which that. player in the NBA playoffs do you think would benefit most wow. from having more fouls? Like Embiid? Yeah, yeah, Embiid. It, it would be a big man, right? It'd be a big man. Oh, yeah, man. it's a big. Yeah, it'd be, I mean, yeah, you'd have to. The, as, far, as much as I said LeBron, LeBron, I think, like, fouled out once in his Right. Career. Like, you would be silly to put it on LeBron. Like, right. I, I mean, yeah, it'd have to be Anthony Davis on the Lakers, right? Yeah, I would think, like, Bam Adebayo would be a good person to have extra fouls, right? Yeah. Um, that's pretty uh, – Serge Ibaka, I'd like to have some extra fouls, <laughs> you know, in the Eastern Conference playoffs. Remember, I'm hoping the Eastern Conference playoffs happen so my futures bets continue to be live. Now, Kevin, it's interesting you mentioned the in-game stuff and the kind of ancillary logistical stuff, you know. Um, I read 538 a lot. And 538 years ago had a had a in-depth data-driven article about how home field advantage in the playoffs in baseball was not a big enough advantage uh, or in the play, excuse me, in the NFL playoffs. It was not a big enough advantage and literally tried to come up with something like, yes, the road team like starts down three nothing in the first quarter, you know, to try to mitigate that. So it's interesting to think about what could happen in game and what may just be kind of the ancillary culture pieces to make them feel more like at home. I got to give it to them. They're being creative, right? They're throwing stuff out there. And we have said before, Kev, this is the time to tinker. Right. If, if there's any time to tinker because of this crazy uh, pandemic and now all sorts of other stuff in our country, uh, this is the time to play with stuff and throw some stuff up against the wall and see if it sticks. I mean, think about it already, Kevin. We're going to potentially have a World Cup group stage. Right. <laughs> like that's in like that's on the so, court kind yeah. of changing the way this is. So, you know, the DH is gone potentially in the National League. Like everything is on the table. So, you know, sure. Yeah. Give them seven fouls. I always thought it was interesting. And I know you're a college guy. Back in the day, how the Big East the, as a conference had more fouls than the rest of the NCAA. And oh, that was yeah. kind of weird. And this maybe is coming off of that. I, I do find it interesting. But again, the devil is in the details. I've got we'll one more for you, though. How much of this comes to pass? Yeah, no, it's true. Um, I, I purposely, though, left out one other idea that was in there because oh, this, okay. this one is something. And it was uh, labeled as radical in the uh, <laughs> article, which is... More radical than shipping the actual court. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> okay, um, go ahead. Tell. It's allowing teams to draft their opponents. Right. And... Now, the one of the which things that they, they pointed out was, I believe they've experimented within the G League, which leads to um, upsets. One of the, I think the quotes from the piece was, you don't want to upset the basketball gods. I mean, at the end of the day, if you're told you have to... Right, which like, you're told you have to draft a team, but yeah, you could see how that could go. I, I do think the idea, though, of that draft, there is no league better set up for that type of thing than the NBA because... The NBA has this like petty drama air to yeah. it that it thrives on. And, and baseball is always—I mean, basketball is always a sport. Like, there's the schoolyard pick. Everyone knows yep. growing up in the court, yep. right? They pick the all-star teams this way now, right? So it's not foreign in the NBA like some other sports. Right, and I, I have to say this: it, it would do a great number. I mean, it would do oh, a yeah. great number on TV. I would want to know who is responsible because that's then the guy. Like, let's say, all right, the uh, the Raptors are the two seed, right yeah. in the in the East, and they're like, you know what, we went we went four and zero this season against Indy. We want Indy. I don't care that they're the uh, fifth seed or sixth seed, right? right? And then they ultimately get banged out, right? And they lose yeah. to the Pacers. Who's to blame? That's what I want to know, right? Is it the head coach who made that decision? The GM, right? Because you know uh, us, Sports Talk Radio, the fans will go absolutely ape, you know, bonkers, being like, you should have just taken the magic like you were supposed to. You tried to get too cute, and now we're sitting here watching. So uh, that's a very high-stakes decision. I wonder who makes that decision. 
Yeah, I mean, if, <laughs> it, it would be uh, like that Lakers war room, right? Like, does anybody, like, other than LeBron actually get the say in who they play? Which, Absolutely. like, because as much as I think sometimes the idea that LeBron runs the team is overblown, I mean, come on, when it comes to actually picking the opponent, there is absolutely no voice that matters as right. much as him in that scenario. I mean, the other the thing is though, it gets a little messy. What is this? Are you then going to fill out a bracket from there? Are you going to pick an opponent each round? You know, I, also think about it. You know, we handicap the futures market partially because we know that opponent, right? Yeah. And there's an easier path to say get there, and that impacts the ads odds if they're not uh, able to hang those in any kind of. Um, you know, extended way that's, mm -hmm. you know, compromising some of the handle, but I don't know if that's what they care about as much, if it's a priority, <laughs> but then it would be an impact. So definitely something to watch. As you know, later on today, we expect to get some kind of word, right? Uh, whether they ratify the proposal and then what formally happens is that it then goes to the Players Association, right? right? And you know, we've been talking about it. We think the players will not be caught off guard on anything that they hear, we'll see. Um, and hopefully it could be smooth sailing from there, but we'll certainly continue to follow it. Another kind of um, impact that I saw here, but was not like labor negotiations, okay? Because remember, the NFL is lucky. They ain't got to worry about this. They're going to follow the blueprint, but time is ticking. You know, what I thought was interesting in another world, uh, there were primaries held in this country this week. And they were elect like state primaries that were pushed back from the, the end of April. They were rescheduled for like June 2nd being like, all right, we'll be okay by then. Eh, I don't know. We thought training camp might be okay in the NFL, but it comes down now, Kev, that no, we are still not at that point just yet. And Roger Goodell has come out and said that NFL training camps will not be at those remote locations. You know how sometimes the Cowboys take over Oxnard or they go to college campuses? Not this year. Teams will all be doing camp at their home facilities. You know, it's another ripple effect impact and obviously impact to those communities where a team would travel for training camp. Yeah, I, I, that's a, the community point is not one that I had considered. And it's, uh, it's definitely an unfortunate, but very, very real one. I think in terms from us, though, like trying to watch the Jets at Hofstra practice. Yeah, you know? Right. I, I think it's interesting to try and say, like, OK, well, how maybe does this impact teams? I don't know if you can necessarily pin it down unless we find out that some teams rely more on those inner squad or not right. inner squad, but uh you know, te dual team practices. Yes, and that is another piece of this. We will discuss that a little bit more because I do think it matters, Kev. We'll talk about that, and then we'll talk about some of the new rookie wide receivers who will be in these training camps. We're off and running. It's the early line, giving you the edge. I do on sports. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. All right, everybody, let's welcome you back into the early line right here on SportsGrid, giving you the edge Dane and Kevin going around the league. And, you know, we got this report. We hear Schefter and others talking about teams are not going to be able to go to their kind of summertime facilities, right? Even in the movie, like, Remember the Titans, you know, the team bonding when they go on that college campus, you know, and that's part of what happens. A lot of teams do this, but not this year. All teams will have to be in their kind of own facilities, in their home base, in their market area. And 10 teams did this last year, okay? Um, they were the Bills. The Panthers, the Bears, the Cowboys, who we all know, right? They go to Oxnard. That's a famous one. The Colts, the Chiefs, the defending Super Bowl champions, the Rams, the Raiders, the Steelers, and the Washington football team have all made a practice of doing this. They won't be able to. But right before the break, you touched on what I think is the biggest part of this. There's also not going to be any of those joint practices that happen this season. You start to see that in training camp right before the preseason schedule usually gets going in earnest. And a lot of times, uh, whoever they have the joint practice against, they wind up playing them like preseason week two a lot of times anyway. Here's what I think is the big difference here. In the last few years, Kevin, we have seen teams 
play their starters less and less in the preseason. Okay. Uh, remember the Rams, the Bears, it was supposed to be like, oh, week three of the preseason, the dress rehearsal, they play a full half. And in recent years, that hasn't been coming to pass. The players have only been playing a drive or a quarter, even in those quote unquote dress rehearsal games, even in the preseason games, these guys are getting less reps in the preseason. Mm. And I heard a number of coaches say that the reason they do that is because the joint practices give them all they need, give like the actual starters all the reps they need against guys that are not their own team. You know, they can they can work out the kinks. They can get their reps in those joint practices so that they don't have to be on the field when live bullets are are flying, risking injury in those preseason games. Now that there's no joint practices, I fully expect more of your starters to play more in the preseason. And by definition, it will lead to more injuries for legitimate starters on your team. I think the no joint practices is important because coaches were more and more using the joint practices as the forum to get their starters actually ready in a kind of more controlled, safer environment with a lower injury risk, Kev. Wow. Yeah, that's a, it's a really good point. It's a dangerous point. Not one that, um, that I had really considered. And I think it's definitely part of the reason that, um, when I, you know, make my futures bets, I wait very, very long until I lock those in. Cause as much as I know you want to beat the market, you know what, nothing worse though than beating the market in the other direction because somebody went down. Mm-hmm. Um, also when it comes to fantasy drafts, you know, I know, you know, it all varies for like last people- year, the only reps Tom Brady got was in the joint practice. He, yeah. he ain't touching the field, you and know, he, and now he's going to have to. I, you know what? And, you know, that's a really good name to mention because mm-hmm. he really has to because yeah. he's in a new situation. Right. So. Philip Rivers as well. You sure. Know? And they're not going to be able to do it, you know, in the hunky gold, lucky joint practices where all the coaches are. And there's usually like a fight. That breaks out, right? Because oh, yeah. it's at the point of training camp where they've been banging heads against their, their own teammates for like two weeks, and they just can't wait to to nail someone else, right? So it pops <laughs> off, but that's where – but quarterbacks ain't getting touched, you know, and that's where they start to actually install some stuff, and they won't have that opportunity. Watch. There's going to be a relatively important name that yeah. gets hurt in like cool. the second quarter – of a preseason game when they wouldn't have been on the field otherwise. The the alternative to this, right, Dane, is these teams still going with the, nope, you're not playing in preseason approach. And then maybe these teams getting out the gate slow, these teams that have made these type of changes, right? So a good example here would be the Bucks team that I've picked to beat the Saints week one because the Saints are a disaster week one, um, right. you know, pretty much for years now. But realistically, not only could that pertain to that first game for the Bucks. But maybe even week two yeah. and three, they just don't have their legs rolling, under, right? Because they've not had enough meaningful reps. So it's a it's a push and pull scenario here, you know. And you know, you would probably argue nothing is more important than the availability. And you know what? I want or you there week says. one, um, which is fair. But then if they're going to be coming out the gate slow, it's it's dangerous. It yeah. really is. And you know, there's just there's so many variables. Like with the NFL, I think I somewhat have this feeling that there could be fans um, for NFL games. I mean, but in I the state you, of Texas, we already know they can put 25%. Right, right. But I tell you, every time I go through, we go through, we pick these games and, you know, we're like, all right, they're home. And a part is like, oh, I wonder mm-hmm. if that even matters. Right. Yeah. And, and it's interesting, right, Kev? I am very interested. And we talked about this on a previous show. Um, three points for home field, right? Yep. <laughs> in the NFL. Yep. I wonder, right, how are they going to adjust for that? How are they going to adjust for that if there's no fans? Is the standard three points only one? What if there's 50% in the stands by then? You know, I think it's going to be very, very interesting. I'm not as worried as much about getting out of the gate slow, like you mentioned. I think it's literally they teams are less likely to put their starters on the field 
and now they may have to. You know, McVay didn't put his Rams on the field in the preseason. Nagy didn't put the Bears on the field in the preseason. And now, you know, Trubisky and Foles are going to get reps with starters in live preseason games. By definition, it just raises the risk of injury. I think you make a good point about getting out of the gate slow, but someone's going to go down who would yeah. not have been on the field if they would have got their work in in the joint practices. And I don't know who that's going to be, but, sure. you know, at last I checked, football was still a violent game. Yeah, no, it definitely is. And it's going to be really interesting to see how a lot of these things play out. I mean, really, that first, I can't remember the exact date on it, that Steelers-Cowboys Hall of Fame game, oh, right? Which is usually like a week zero game yep. of um, preseason. But, like, I'm curious if they even try and flirt with fans there. That's gonna, that's one of the things that I'm going to be really, really interested to see well, the first time they try to Doesn't that always with coincide fans. with the enshrinement ceremonies? Yes. Right? Do you think we're inviting people in to listen to, you know, Ray Lewis's speech? I don't know. I Maybe, though, right? I, you know, I, I got to say, I, the one thing that I've maintained this whole time is, like, I, don't ask me to project anything a month out. Right. And, 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 like, that's... Maybe you don't even have to project anything. So. Well, listen, if Woj says so, though, then he's not wrong. Woj knows right. exactly what he's talking about each and every time. Right. Um, he can get me to project it too much. Woj, how about the flex, though? Let's just quickly mention that, like, while every other league is trying to figure it out, the NBA is like, hey, Woj, let everybody know that this is when our season is ending. Like, they're giving out NBA finals dates, the audacity. Yeah, absolutely. And they're planning it for like sweeps weeks on the networks. Right? <laughs> so we'll definitely learn more about that. And I want to keep an eye on this because, you know, teams are going to have to start to figure out how to adjust and compensate for this training schedule, even in the NFL. Well, listen, you know, we talked about the wide receiver position a lot this week, right? The available air targets that are up for grabs, who stands to benefit from that and can even potentially get a bigger slice of the pie, could lead the league in receiving. We gave you out some, you know, leans and ideas for that. You know, Kev, similar to how a couple of weeks back, we talked about the rookie running backs. I want to turn our attention to the rookie wide receivers because we've been looking at this. You know, we talk about the different XYZ affair, right? The different roles of wide receivers. We talk about where there's some opportunity, you know, in play. We even talk about garbage time potential and game flow for some of the wide receivers. So, you know, we took some time and we made our top 10. Um, and so I wanted to do that. Where, how do you want to go? Kev, you want to go from top to bottom? Do you want me to lead? You, should I go from 10 on up? Should I tell you some honorable mention folks first mm. or last? What do you want to hear first from the spitting statistician as per the wide receiver ranks? I, I like start, starting, when it comes to this stuff, starting at the top because okay. we know those names, but yeah. there's a lot of uh, intrigue as to how they'll actually be slotted. And, you know, as you further go down, it's, it's always fun to see who made the cut. So okay. uh, I'm fascinated by the top. Fair enough. And here's the thing. Going into the draft, right, we all thought there was a group of three top receivers, mm -hmm. Judy, Lamb, and Ruggs, right? Um, they are not one, two, three. Okay, because the idea of skill is definitely there. But remember, the other piece of this is opportunity, right, yep. and potential there. So, for example, we've had this conversation. CeeDee Lamb is amazing, but we've talked about in Dallas, right, how there's already Amari Cooper, how there's already Michael Gallup, how Zeke is going to get a whole ton of production because he needs to be fed, right? And so if you're the third choice in the passing game, you're not going to be as high up on the list. Think about Jerry Judy in Denver as well, right? There's, you know, a lot of other options. We're talking about Cortland mm -hmm. Sutton emerging as a wideout one. And it's still ultimately all in the hands of a second-year quarterback in Drew Locke, right? So don't get me wrong. I think Lamb and Judy were the two most skilled receivers coming out, but I don't know that they landed in places where they'll be able to take advantage of, you know, their piece of the pie. And so by contrast, my number one wide receiver here is uh, Justin Jefferson. Justin Jefferson is one for me. I think the skill set is there. You know, you wanted him for the Eagles. A lot of people thought he was, you know, a tier almost unto himself at wide receiver four. <laughs> and I love where he wound up in Minnesota. Listen, you know, Stefan Diggs is not there. They lost 24% 
of their uh, targets and opportunity. We covered that yesterday. The Vikings are one of the teams who lost that in the form of Stefan Diggs. The other thing for me, I don't know if we did this when we covered the Vikings. Thielen is a fade for me. He's getting a little bit up in age. He had a little bit of injury. I think there's a path for Jefferson to be a big part out the gate of the Vikings offense. And this is not an offense that is a bottom five of the league. Okay. They can in fact score cousins is a legitimate quarterback. You know what they have in the running game as well. I think Jefferson is primed and in good position to be the top wide out in year one. Justin Jefferson is lower for me. And okay. part of the reason is I think that with all due respect, I think yeah. sometimes we associate the Vikings wide receiver core with the 2018 production and less so with what happened in 2019 because Kirk Cousins threw the ball 162 less times last year Mm -hmm. from 2018 and that's because all they wanted to do was run and I'm not personally going to feel comfortable assuming that that's not the scenario and if everything's you know if everybody's going to be able to be healthy Thielen is going to lead them in targets. Now, you might say Justin Jefferson could have a path to being first if Thielen goes down. I think he'll be second, the second targeted reception. I think he'll be right. second in all quarter categories for the Vikings. Yeah, and it, which is certainly fair. I just think that that holds a little bit maybe less value, in my opinion, because I don't see Cousins throwing the football as much okay. as some of these other quarterbacks. All right, fair enough. We'll see who is at the top of Kevin's list when we come back, and we'll play out how we view these rookie-wide receivers, you know, potential skill we'll put it all into a pot we'll do ranks or tiers we'll give you the edge on rookie wide receivers when we come back it's the early line right here on sports Grid. sportsgrid.com betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24 7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering real-time odds predictive betting models expert picks and more want the edge then get on the grid sportsgrid.com welcome back in everybody to the early line right here on sports grid kevin and i are looking at the rookie wideouts okay and who can get out of gate and actually produce for you as a fantasy owner in 2020 right and kevin we got to acknowledge right it's part who that wide receiver is and mm-hmm. part where they landed you know what team they landed based on how good the offense is who that quarterback is the other wide receivers on the depth chart what kind of scheme they have are they a run team a passing team all that comes into a pot together i'll tell you on the adp that we usually look at when we're doing our diamonds and fugazis i was looking at the top three wide receivers that are rookies and they're back to back back Okay, Mm. it's Judy at 51, CeeDee Lamb at 52, and Justin Jefferson at 53. I am putting Jefferson at the top of the list just because I think the rest of the wide receiver room is a lot more crowded in Denver Mm. and in Dallas than it is now in Minnesota. It's that, you know, piece of the pie available targets aspect, and I think that smiles a little bit more on Jefferson, but we may be splitting hairs. Who's your number one rookie wideout? So for me... It's t- who I see is the only guy that has the chance to be a team's number one, and that's mm-hmm. Henry Ruggs. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I know that we gave Terrell Williams his props when we went through the Raiders the other day, right. and deservedly so. And in fact, I would probably still be more likely to draft Terrell Williams over Henry Ruggs because the gap in ADP, I don't necessarily find justified between the two. But I think Ruggs has the ability to be this team's number one, I think the fact that he was the first wide receiver off the board is not insignificant. And you look at the type of player he is, his good games are going to be great games. Mm-hmm. Just the, the what he can do deep down the field, it's a lot of going to be a lot of big plays, and it'll be touchdowns. And I think that he has the ability, more so maybe than the rest of these guys, because of the situation to flirt with like wide receiver two or dependable wide receiver three range. All right, fair enough. So your number one is Henry Ruggs. I have him far lower, okay? Mm. And here's, here's, here's what I'm gonna say about Ruggs, okay? And the note I have on Ruggs is, you know, I have him as like six or seven, okay? Wow. But my note is much higher in best ball formats, okay? Because of what you just said, right, Kev? Like, 
His weeks, when he pops off, he can win you a week. I think Ruggs is going to be a Deshaun Jackson, Will Fuller type, okay? Mm. And yes, there are. I, be, I believe you. There are going to be weeks this season when Henry Ruggs has 150 yards and two touchdowns, okay? Mm-hmm. Because he took a slant and he went 65. Or he goes over the top like Tariq Hill would, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not going to have Henry Ruggs on my teams because it is going to be, you know, very frustrating for me, at least, to figure out which of those weeks is he going to have the five for 137 and two touchdowns. Because Mm -hmm. I think on the weeks that it's not, you're going to really lament the fact that you started him, you know, and that's my problem. But I think it's a great point that we mentioned to the viewers right now that he, to me, is the best, best ball format of all the rookie wide receivers, but inherently guys that are good in best ball are also, you know, make you, make you furious Mm -hmm. other weeks. And so I think rugs will fit into that category. My, I guess where I have a little bit more confidence comes from what Tyrell Williams was able to do last year um, because he's kind of a take the top off the defense type of player. And I mean, he was like a touchdown a week with Derek Carr. It worked out really nicely. You might argue that then maybe these two will cannibalize each other when it comes to actual production, which is understandable. But again, if that's going to be an argument that you make for Tyrell Williams over Henry Ruggs, then I don't really know what we're doing here talking about any of these rookie wide receivers. Because the, the funny thing about this rookie class is there is ridiculous amounts of talent. And I'm also including the running backs in this group. But as we learned, nobody got put in a situation that presented us with like obvious, clear-cut, number one option type of situations like the all the best backs have another good back in front yeah. of them or behind them all the the top you know wide receivers yeah. are in situations that you know you don't know where they're going to fall in the pecking order so um it's to me been a very interesting rookie class to rank no absolutely and i am i'll give you this i am leaning a little bit more heavily on the situation that's why jefferson was my one don't get me wrong i think rugs is a good player i think lamb is a good player i think judy is a good player you know but in denver we're going to have a fantasy herd. You know, we just are, <laughs> you know, so give me the opportunity to your point about being who could be that number one ride receiver. You think Ruggs has that potential. I don't disagree just for me. He's going to furiate me uh, like on the random weeks when he goes three for 27, you know, and, and that is, will happen at some point. Another guy high up on my list, you know, we've talked about some of the big boys, but a guy I have really high on my list because I like the offense and I like his role vis-a-vis the other wideouts is Michael Pittman in Indianapolis. I have him real high on the list. Remember also, we did that lost available air targets. Mm-hmm. The Colts were high up on that list. The Colts lost 24% of their targets last year. I believe it's mostly Eric Ebron, guys like Chester Rogers even, you know, and so I do think he can take over some of that. And I also think he's got a good role. Okay. T.Y. Hilton, Paris Campbell, those are smaller receivers. We know what Pittman is. Pittman is that prototypical X, right? That 6'3, 6'4 wide out. I really like his role. And I know that his new quarterback loves chucking it up to the tall wide receivers. I think Pittman is in line for legitimate production in, in year one. Yeah, Pittman comes in at five for me. He cool. has the chance to be a team's number two option. Right. And that's valuable in this group. And he also, you know, when you think about kind of the size, it's hard not to get caught in these traps. But I think about what Mike Williams was able to do with Mm -hmm. the rivers, as far as a touchdown target. And I think maybe we could see a similar spot with Michael Pittman, um, because we know that rivers likes his big guys when it's right through the red zone. He just does. Yep. Um, So that's why I think that Michael Pittman is someone who comes in at five. And, uh, you know, part of the reason maybe he was able to hold off for me, some of the other guys who can also be number twos is not only um, Mm. in terms of a good offense, but I just think the competition behind him. If Michael Pittman is as good as people say, he should be able to establish himself as a clear two. I agree with that. And I'll give you one more. Okay. In the draft process, one of the comps, for Michael Pittman that I saw multiple times, you know, is another wide receiver that Philip Rivers used to love to throw the ball to. I saw Pittman come to Vincent Jackson a bunch, another wide receiver of the Chargers that Philip Rivers became very comfortable with. Another wideout, and call me a homer, but another wideout that has a potential to be the number two on their team is Denzel Mims. 
with the Jets. Listen, the Jets waited. So obviously Mims was, what, like the 10th, 11th wide out off the board, but he had first round talent. A lot of people thought he could have been a first round pick. And where does he land? He lands with the Jets where I guess Brashard Perryman is the wide out one. I know Crowder is in the slot and he's a legitimately good slot receiver, right? But when you talk about Mims and Perryman, both of them are new to the team. Both of them are new to Sam Darnold. This is a team, the Jets, that also lost their number one wide receiver and 37% of their air yards, mostly in the form of Robbie Anderson. Okay, so I think this is a team that has a hole to fill, the one receiver is also new, and I believe, you know, the Jets were bottom five last year in passing offense, and I think that's going to change. I think the entire pie will grow this year for the Jets as Sam Darnold doesn't have mono and can actually be in there with another year with a better offensive line. I think the Jets passing offense on the whole will create a bigger pie, and I like Denzel Mims's chance to get a pretty big slice of it. So Denzel Mims, for me, is number four. Wow, four. So I have Mims at six, and, okay. and he was someone who I – it was a little bit more difficult for me to try and pin down. Where I personally would push back is I don't think there's a new number one in town. Jameson Crowder last year comfortably led them in targets. And – Production-wise, yes, but – He's not on the outside. He's in the slot. He's a slot wide. Yeah, I just I think that that's changed a bit in the NFL. I, I don't think that necessarily you have to play on the outside to be a number one. I think the number okay. one is the guy who leads the team in targets. That's okay. and, and that's just how I, I I see that. And I think the idea of Rashad Perriman's skill set somewhat mirroring what Robbie Anderson did right. does give leeway to him producing. With all of that being said. You know, I've read some some articles that were very, very flattering uh, of what Denzel Mims can yeah. bring to the table. I think they would be wise to, you know, build that relationship right. up between him and uh, Sam Darnold. So where's the pushback? You, you have him at four. That's way yeah. too high. Well, you, you had can't... him at six. Yeah, the, I mean... but the guys in front of him, I mean, you, I just can't, I can't get, I'm assuming right, so that you have Henry Ruggs is behind him, right? You have him at six. Who's your four and five? So four and five are Justin Jefferson and Michael Pitt. All right. So I had both of those guys over Mims as well. Those were top for me, right? So you have where we're probably missing is like you have Rugs mm -hmm. higher. Yeah. And you have Judy. Where do you have Judy? I have I have Judy at two. Talk to me about Jerry Judy. So Jerry Judy. So I, I went through this and I thought about the Broncos uh, a little bit, and I you know you try and figure it out. Last year, Cortland Sutton racked in 124 targets. Okay. Next closest was Noah Fant at 66. Right. With after the Emmanuel Sanders trade, pretty much the state of that wide receiver room was a gap comparable to Michael Thomas and the rest of the Saints. Not in that Cortland Sutton is Michael Thomas, but there just wasn't a lot. The, the talent level wasn't the same. And right. to me, I've, I've said a number of times, Jerry Judy was the best wide receiver that came out of this class. And now I know it's year one, so it, it may not happen year one, but he certainly has the chance to be the most talented wide receiver in that Denver Broncos receiving room. And I think the Sutton 124 targets can come down a little bit, but mm -hmm. I also think about the 40-some-odd targets that Emmanuel Sanders leaves on right. the table. The Deshaun Hamilton targets, yep, right. we'll be taking those, no problem. Yep. I, I think that Jerry Judy talent plus the fact that he is going to establish himself to me as at worst a number two guy is why he climbs up higher for me right, fair enough I, you know i think they're gonna be close i think you know in january when we pick up our head right is it possible that these guys are within seven catches of each other a hundred yards of each other two touchdowns of each other in year one. I do think that's very possible. With Judy, I also think, listen, KJ Hamler was their second round pick. Yeah. He's gonna eat into that as well. And I also, I sort of think that Melvin Gordon is going to get a big piece of work out of the backfield as well. Um, and I just, I see the Broncos as a little bit more of a herd. Again, Judy is definitely a quality wide receiver. Um, 
I just think that that pie has a little bit more slices than the one on the Jets. I want to get your reaction, but we're going to break, okay? So when we come back, we still got other rookie wideouts to talk about. We've talked about Jefferson, Pittman, Lamb, Mills, Mims, Judy, Ruggs. There are some other wide receivers who I think do have potential to really contribute to their teams this year. We'll profile some of them when we come back right here on the early line. We're giving you the edge, people. Come on back after this. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Welcome back, everybody, to the early line right here on SportsGrid. While we were off the air, all right, over the commercial, Kevin and I are trying to figure out, because I'm on Denzel Mims, Mm -hmm. and the first thing I said, about that, by the way, Kev, was, okay, maybe I'm a homer. <laughs> but then I went into that, right? <laughs> and you're talking about Jerry Judy. I think it's interesting, right? Jerry Judy, by all accounts, is a more talented wide receiver, even though a lot of people have very nice things to say about Denzel Mims and his skill set, right? Yeah. But for me, it's the lack of other top-notch talent, right? To me, the fact that there is no Cortland Sutton in the Jets wide receiver room is why I think men Mims – uh, can progress a little bit more. So we were talking about, you know, trying to make a little bit of a bet. He'd have to give me like 30 or so fantasy so, points. Hit me up on Twitter. Hold yeah. on. Let's put it as a poll. We should put it as a poll, Kevin. Who do you think is better, Jerry Judy or Denzel Mims plus 30 fantasy points in their rookie year? We'll see what the people say out there yeah. on SportsGrid. Put it up as a poll. We'll see. <laughs> we'll react. But what were you going to say? I, uh, I have I have two points that I think. One, one is just... I'm I'm having to lay 30 points to you despite you ranking Mims ahead of Judy. Yeah. I'm missing something there. You'd say <laughs> something's Look missing. At the I can have a take and it yeah. be uh, and still get money. Like you've picked plus money a lot of times in fights. I love plus money. I yeah. love plus money. So plus do I. Money. That's why I want it. <laughs> but the premise of this comes from you having Mims over Judy. Right. Which then turns though into you needing 30 points. I'm getting taken, I'm getting taken to the woodshed here. And as much, uh, you know, I was born at night, not last night. Um, um, but the other question, though, in, in, in all seriousness, when it comes to Mims, is it a stretch too far to say that there's a world where he is fifth in the targets and teams, not only behind Perriman and Crowder, but Lev Bell, and then if Griffin does break out as a tight end? Or who's the other guy, Hurden, that they always want to break out as a tight end? Yeah. Um, Le'Veon Bell is an interesting case, right? Um, he will definitively be involved, right? <laughs> um, Crowder, because of the nature of him being in the slot, yes. Um, I believe Mims will be either the third or Perryman. Um, yeah, I think he'll be there. But I I kind of feel like Mims and Darnold are going to have a connection. I just do. Um, I think he was the wide receiver targeted by Joe Douglas to be Sam Darnold's new toy. And the role that he plays, to me, Mims, I think, is going to be like T.Y. Hilton in the Colts offense, okay? Perryman plays the outside, right? The slot, Crowder is the Paris Campbell role. I think Mims is the T.Y. Hilton role. And um, I'm expecting big things out of it. Let's look at some of the other wide receivers, okay? So we've talked about some of the guys who are likely in their top five for both of us, four, six, two, verse four. Where's you, CD though, for you? also have CeeDee Lamb. Yeah, there, yeah, right? yeah. So talk to me about CeeDee Lamb. So CeeDee Lamb is... Lamb is my okay, number okay. three. Yeah, I just had to ask because I was like, because based Lamb on how these are doing, I thought maybe CeeDee Lamb could be much lower for you. Lamb is um, three for so CD is three for me as well, just okay. behind, you know, behind Ruggs and Judy. And, you know, as we're kind of going through this, right, it's like, man, like that guy might be a number three. And in fact, he is a number three wide receiver. How could he possibly kind of break right. through these guys that are number two options? And it's twofold. One, the talent. CD Lamb, to me, was the second best wide receiver in this class, and that is not insignificant. But it's also the offense. And it's not just that the offense should be very, very good and be up there in passing. But when you think about the targets that are gone, last year, Randall Cobb was targeted 83 times. If I just, if you just give me CeeDee Lamb's uh, to those 83 targets, 
I'm going to be pretty happy with that. Yeah. Then, as you just said there, Witten's losing 83 targets. And what we've mm-hmm. talked about, it, that doesn't mean that it's 83 tight end targets that need to be redistributed. No, not at all. So I actually think there's a world. This might sound a bridge too far, but I think there's a world where their top three wide receivers all cross the 100-target threshold. Mm-hmm. You pair that with the talent level and the fact that CeeDee Lamb, I would think, I would think, gets the like friendliest coverage of the bunch because Michael Gallup and Dak right. are going to have a great rapport and Amari Cooper's the most talented dude on the field for them. Like, You would think that then yeah. CeeDee Lamb gets incredibly favorable coverage. I think CeeDee Lamb's has a high floor and you know potentially really high ceiling as well he's my three i have him above mims and i put him above judy for the reasons you described right the offense in dallas is better than the offense in denver and with the judy thing a big part of this for me is also i don't know about drew lock okay there's a there's a universe where he regresses and then that compromises the value of all the pass catchers in denver in a way where i think I kind of think Dak is going to deliver with the pressure that is on him this year. So in the world where this year's Cowboys wide receiver group becomes like what the Rams were two years ago, right? Where all three of them are viable, Woods, uh, Cooks, and Cup, right? But that's few and far between where you can get three fantasy viable wide receivers, especially on an offense that also has Ezekiel Elliott, you know, for them to all pay off. You know, it's they're going to need to be one of the best offenses in football. So we'll yeah. see if that's what they can do. One guy that's in the bottom uh, five for me that I'm going to bet is also in six through ten for you because of the reaction of the damn coach when they drafted him. For me, it's Duvernay in Baltimore. OK, for me, you talk about path to being number one or a number two wide receiver. Right. I'll give you Hollywood. As for the Ravens wide receivers, but I think Duvernay steps right in above like the Willie Sneeds of the world. And when I saw Harbaugh at the draft, they targeted this kid. They want to use him. And I know it's a rushing offense, but I'm trusting the scheme and Harbaugh. I think Duvernay is going to fill a very interesting role for these Ravens in year one. And it may include some touchdowns, Kev. Yeah, you know, uh, Duvernay actually is not someone that had made the cut through my list. Okay. And and maybe a little bit just through not um, seeing the name as much. You know, I, right. I, I when I'm going through kind of my list, I, ha- I feel like I try and still base things just on, you know, some ADP stuff and moving sure. things around a little bit through that prism. So, But Duvernay, in theory, I get it. I mean, considering how much they liked him when they drafted him. Yep. The wide receiver room is not necessarily like this cr- this super, super talented group. Now, Marquise Brown and Mark Andrews will comfortably Correct. land sure. ahead of him in targets. But again, in a high-octane offense, That's albeit right. because of their run, That's there's right. certainly a, a world where Duvernay is going to be able to present value. Now, he came in for you at what spot exactly? Eight. Okay, yeah. I, I mean, and, and as I look through some of these names, I, I think, you know, for me, I think there's a, a drop-off after six. Okay. So that's where I had Mims. To me, I think that's where we kind of get into... Mims is the cut line for you? Yeah. I think, I think that's when we get into a little bit of uh, muddier waters of... Mm-hmm. You can kind of sell me on any ranking of any of, of these guys. Okay. So here's the thing. In there, and I got... I was putting hairs at that point also. Okay? Mm-hmm. So I give that to you. Okay? So then I'll just tell you other names I have rounding out kind of the top 10 and feel free to push back on any of them or agree with any of them. After Duvernay, remember, I've got Ruggs in there. We've already discussed him, Mm -hmm. right? The other three that I have rounding out my top 10 are Ayuk in San Fran, are Higgins in Cincy, and then your boy Rager in Philadelphia. Those are the last three that round out my top 10. I've got some honorable mentions I want to get to, but do you include those three, Ayuk, Higgins, and Rieger? Yeah, uh, so Rieger came in at 7 for me, but okay. I think you could argue that he could be like 12th because right. of that Eagles room. I mean, yeah. Ertz, Goddard, Alshon, no doubt. Deshaun Jackson. Okay, so now we're at 5. Miles Sanders yep. is going to get a bunch. Oh, yep. Marquise Goodwin got traded for. Genuinely, like Jalen Rieger, if he's option 7, right. wouldn't floor me. The thing he has going for him is being a first-round pick, and mm-hmm. that's what got Rieger up to 7 for me. Got him at 10. Yeah, it's, cool. just, it's entirely based on him being a first-round pick. Um, T Higgins is at nine for me. I had Higgins as nine as well. Yeah, Higgins is a weird spot. It's, it really it's like, is. 
there's there's talent. I think that the Bengals might be passing the ball a Garbage lot. time. But, like, A.J. Green is there, and we've seen what Tyler Boyd can do. Yep. Mixon will get his. So I, I they like Ross to hopefully come on at some right. point as I, well. I, and that's yeah. why we talked about them as a luxury pick, right? Mm-hmm. We talked about this. The, the Bengals don't have any air yards to make up. Yep. They didn't, they needed an offensive lineman. So yes, the skill is there and garbage time potential is there, but I don't know where he found Ryan's in the pecking order either. Yeah. Ayuk is one I, I really struggle to kind yeah. of pin down because he actually has an argument closer to guys in five, six, right? He's like, yeah. I could be wide receiver too. Yeah. Um, which is fair. Now, obviously, that's th- third because Kittle, of course, is going to lead mm-hmm. the team in targets, and then it'll be Debo Samuel. I, it's just going to be interesting to see how they deploy Brandon Ayuk. It, it, to me, you t- you talk about fantasy herd. It's just how much like that's just how the Niners are to me. Other than yeah. George Kittle, right? Like everybody's just going to do a bit of everything, and they're going to start to figure it out. Um, the two guys that are inside my top ten that I didn't hear you name were uh, Chase Claypool and Jessica Chenault. Um, Ooh, okay. both of those guys to me climbed into the top 10 Claypool. I yeah, could I like probably Claypool. argue as high as five 11 be- for me. He's right yeah. at the, the cost. The re the thing with Claypool is he can be a number two wide receiver in a high octane offense in Pittsburgh, but you sold me quite a bit on Deontay Johnson. And I do think sometimes, you know, now it didn't apply to Juju, but I think a rookie can take a little bit longer in Pittsburgh but, you know, what we've seen from Steelers wide receivers, Claypool will be, uh, an all, you know, a pro bowler uh, eventually because that's what they do with their wide receiver talents. I think Claypool, you know, James Washington's in trouble. I think that's where it is. I think Claypool is more of the James Washington role, okay, because Deontay – the slot is a shorter guy. Juju, I think he's a Y wide receiver instead of an X wide receiver. I think Claypool fills that role. And the other guy I want to mention, I think he's off the radar. I'm going to tell you right now. I did not have Chenault. This guy is off the radar, um, Kevin. But I was thinking Gabe Morency, and I'll tell you why in a second, because it's Gabriel Davis, okay, okay, from UCF. And here's my point. Davis is another one of those big body, tall, outside the numbers receivers. Mm. Think about the current receivers in Buffalo. Stefan Diggs, smaller man. Cole Beasley, smaller man. Smoke Brown, smaller man. Okay, I think they targeted Davis to be the outside talent, right? And they, they're they going to let Josh Allen throw a little bit more along with Stefan Diggs. I think he fills a role that is very intriguing to me. They could use him. He could get early red zone targets. Yeah. And so I think he deserves to be named. Now, is he ahead of a guy like T. Higgins or Ruggs? Or mm-hmm. do no, but a name that people should watch that can get very late in drafts and could score some touchdowns for these Bills. Yeah, the other guy I'll mention in, in a similar ilk is uh, Antonio Gandy-Golden, um, mm-hmm. who landed in Washington, I believe yep. out of Georgia. The entirety of the argument is that Washington has no wide receivers right. outside of Terry McLaurin. Jay Gibson, Washington also, right? Yeah, and now the thing Flash. is, the running back, well, yeah, right. the whole Gibson thing is super weird. Um, but basically, yeah, that's the intrigue with an Antonio Gandy-Golden, is maybe he could actually be a wide receiver, too, on a football team. Yeah, right. Skill set and opportunity. There'll be some opportunity in Washington. I wonder about Bowden in Vegas also. They might do some interesting things with him. Remember, he was the quarterback in Kentucky. All right, that'll wrap up our number one. In hour two, we'll talk about some teams that definitely have some wide receivers. The Arizona Cardinals come into focus when we come back. We're off and running, finding value on the Cardinals in hour two. Come on back and join us. It's the early line. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. 